shopping and the arts at the gateway to the Catskill Park. LivingstonManorNY.com And from listeners like you. Welcome to the local edition news and information keeping you connected in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Jason Dole. Coming up, we'll get the latest on jobs and the economy around here, around the country, around the world. It's Work Shift Live with James B. Huntington. And if you listen to the news like I did uh, this week, especially yesterday, heard a lot about the four-hour work week. That's back in the headlines again. We'll see what James B. Huntington has to say. Coming up on Work Shift Live. But first, we're starting off on this uh, wintry Wednesday evening. Getting the latest news with our weekly check-in, our weekly news roundup with the River Reporter. For that, we turn to reporter Liam Mayo from the River Reporter. Liam, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back. How are you doing in the weather? Have you encountered any today? Are things all right as far as you've seen? Yeah, things are decently all right as far as I've seen, although I don't have too much knowledge on the subject. Um, Have you been out in it? I've been out in it briefly, um, but I have about a two-minute drive to uh, the office from my home, so I did not have to go very far. Right. I've only got about a five-minute drive, and it looks like the snow actually let up uh, sometime in the past hour. Uh, But we are expecting it to change over some sleet, uh, possibly freezing rain. And uh, the thing that I noticed is the winter weather advisory we've been reading from uh, from out of the National Weather Service in Binghamton saying like two to four inches of snow and sleet and then up to a quarter of an inch of ice, which is a lot. I've noticed that that uh, the AccuWeather forecast, at least for Sullivan County, is saying uh, much less on any additional snow and sleet, but up to a half an inch of uh, ice is possible, which uh, that's a lot of ice. That is, yeah. I I hope everyone stays safe out there. (laughs) So uh, last week, last time you were here, we spent a lot of time talking about Sullivan County's Adult Care Center at Sunset Lake, specifically news of COVID spreading at the center. That was the news last week when we spoke on a Wednesday evening. Since then, Katie Perez, Regional Director of Infinite Care, appeared before the Sullivan County Legislature. What's the update? So uh, the update is uh, sort of just as you said it. um, Infinite Care is the management company that the county hired to run its adult care center. And occasionally it has representatives from the infinite care check back in with the county um, on how the center is doing. Um, Katie's or Katie Perez uh, appeared before the county, not in response to the COVID news. I believe this was a pre-prepared visit that was before the COVID outbreak started. Um, But she did provide some updates on how the outbreak is going. Um, She said that, as of February 16, uh, last Thursday, uh, 28 residents and four employees tested positive with COVID. Um, there were six employees that had um, been positive, but then came off the positive list the previous day. Um, and uh, she hoped that um, if there weren't additional positive tests, the outbreak would be over by March 1. Um, Since then, the care center has put out another update 
as of February 18, that there were six additional positive residents. So um, it does appear that this outbreak is sort of still rumbling. Mm. Um, so that would be but, this this weekend. So have we have we heard any uh, additional news this week, either from the care center official or from folks that are keeping an eye on the care center? No, I, I checked in, and the six over the weekend was the last that uh, people had heard. Okay, March first is a week from tonight, so I guess we'll see uh, where things stand uh, if any yeah. other additional cases come out in the next week. Yeah, f- fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, the other news that sort of happened at the legislative meeting or the reason why she'd come to the legislative meeting in the first place was to give sort of a more holistic update on the center's operations. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of a, a lot of the stuff that we had been talking about last week with um, where I didn't exactly know it was the most recent update. So she gave the most recent update and she really focused on um the fact that infinite care was really trying to staff the facility um nursing homes across the industry are having trouble getting enough staff um but she said that infinite care has really been trying to staff the facility and you're saying um, as an ongoing issue uh kind of preceding the covid story yes this is sort of an ongoing issue um she said that over 2022 and into 2023 uh, Infinite Care retained uh, 94 staff out of 134 total hires um, and was doing certain measures to increase morale and to improve the systems at the facility. So um, the emphasis from her was on the fact they were trying to hire a lot more people. Um, but there were a lot of sort of questions that legislators asked that she wasn't necessarily prepared to answer. Um, two of the sort of more crucial ones were about levels of staff compared to numbers of patients. Um, it's sort of useful to know how many people they're trying to hire, but if you don't know sort of how many staff are taking, trying to take care of how many numbers of patients, um, it, it's a number that lacks a little context. And, uh, the answer to that wasn't exactly clear in the legislative meeting. Um, the other thing was the care center's financials, which uh, the legislature, as the oversight body for the care center, has been requesting sort of more detailed financial information for a while. Uh, she said that she wasn't the person who would be providing that information, and there was talk of setting up a meeting with another representative from Infinite Care who could. Um, so two of the more important questions about uh, the facility were not really answered at that meeting. All right. Uh, looking over towards Tustin, I hear that uh, folks want to purchase the old Camp Wellmet property. What's the story there? Yeah. Um, so uh, Camp Wellmet was a summer camp that operated um, many, many years ago. Um, and then it declined and was eventually sold to, or the property in the town of Tustin that it held was sold to uh, the Gurdjieff Foundation, who has been using it kind of intermittently since then. And um, a, a Jewish school, a yeshiva, um, the Bovop Yeshiva of Muncie, New York, wants to purchase the property and sort of bring it back to life as a summer camp and use it for the summer education of its students. Um, 
this project first came before the planning board, I believe, in May of 2022, and they've been kind of working through it since then. Um, it had a public hearing at last month's planning board meeting, and that was the first time a lot of uh, its potential neighbors sort of learned of the project. Um, and since then, a lot of neighbors have been like trying to air their concerns about this uh, camp sort of coming into their midst and putting a lot of additional people where there sort of hadn't been before. And this isn't the only camp story that folks are now going to be keeping an eye on in the area. I mean, there's already people are already uh, looking at other camps moving to the Delaware Valley. Yeah, there are, there are a lot of camps moving to the Delaware Valley. There's a lot of development that people are keeping an eye on. Um, and there are potential environmental issues with like any major development. Um, mm. In this particular case, the planning board has worked with the applicants again since May of last year and have sort of done a, a, do, a deal of due diligence um, in examining the property. Um, and examining the plans to make sure that it holds up. Uh, they passed the project's um, environmental assessment, or they passed the project through the seeker process with a negative declaration saying that it wouldn't have an impact on the surrounding environment back in December. Um, so a lot of people, what people are concerned about now is just the fact that there will be a project there. Um, sometimes there are like more serious environmental concerns to consider. I don't know if that's fully the case here. Um, the sort of concern really just does seem to be that there will be people at that property where there really hadn't been before mm. in recent history. Mm. All right. And uh, finally, uh, the, there's this Jadwin Dam. And uh, is the Army Corps of Engineers going to take a look at it? Yeah. Well, uh, so the Army Corps of Engineers has been taking a look at this. Um, it's the General Edgar Jadwin Dam um, in Wayne County. It sits on the Dryberry Creek and protects um, a lot of the communities there, including Holmesdale and Hawley, from flooding. Um, it's a dry dam, so during most of the year, it doesn't actually have any water behind it. But during periods of flooding, it it sort of lets water pool up and... Uh, keeps it safely rather than having it overwhelm downstream communities. Um, it's a dam that was first created in 1957, uh, and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers did a safety modification study of it, uh, sort of concluding in 2016, and they found that it was originally built insufficiently for a part of it, and there mm. were problems with the potential for water to seep through it. Uh, depending on the conditions. So, um, and now I just just want to put this in people's heads in case they're wondering wh where we're talking about. This is the the dam, the dry dam that's there that you can see just off of 191. If you're coming down the hill on 191, heading towards Holmesdale, just before you get to the fairgrounds, right? Um, I'm not super familiar with the area myself, but uh, I'm sure you're right. Yeah, I'm. I just I just 
wanted to know which dam it was. I saw pictures of it, and I realized I think that's where it is. I'm looking at Google Maps now. Yep, it's just just north of the fairgrounds. Uh, so that's part of the floodplain there that this is protecting. So sorry, sorry to interrupt, Liam. No, I mean you bring out a good point in that the dam is visible, and something that um, the uh, government affairs officer, who's sort of was talked to us about the story, Ed Voigt. Uh, he said that residents who frequently hike along the dam will notice little difference to how it looked before. Um, so they're not doing any major changes to its structure, but they're um, putting down a geosynthetic liner on the dam's upstream slope to block any potential seepage through it. So it's basically a big tarp, uh, a big, very fancy, very expensive tarp. Um, but that will be covered up, I believe, and it will sort of look as it does now when it's completed in 2023, only a lot more protective of downstream communities. Wow. Okay. So it's like, it, it's, it's a liner. I, just like you're saying it, it's going to, it's going to make like a giant half of a bowl almost going up that slope like that. So that's, that's very interesting, but uh, that's what you get with the army Corps of engineers. You get engineering solutions. That's what they're there for. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, Liam, um, Oh, sorry. Anything else on this story? Oh, I was just going to say that those are solutions that um, have, are pretty effective. Um, the Corps of Engineers have estimated that uh, the Jadwin Dam has prevented approximately $46 million in flooding-related damages since 1960. So. Wow. So are that some numbers that they worked up in conjunction with this work that they're doing? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, great. That, that's that's some, that's something to keep in mind as well. Liam, we're going to say goodbye in just a minute here. Is there anything else coming out in the River Reporter newspaper tomorrow that uh, we can keep an eye out for? Yeah. Um, one of the things that we as, pe- as same as people across the nation have been being aware of is the freight train derailment near East Palestine, yeah. Ohio. Um, and we at the River Reporter have started a multi-article series um, sort of looking at the infrastructure and the um, the emergency like contact protocols in the Upper Delaware to sort of see what would happen if there was an incident um, in the Upper Delaware, who would be responsible, who would be contacted, um, and the first issue of that article comes out this week um, on page five of this edition. So. All right. Well, that that sounds good and very timely. And yeah, trains are running through the area. So that's something good to know. Leah Mayo, River Reporter, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us once again. Thanks for having me, Jason. And Liam will be back with us next week. Uh, remember, on the weekend, you can hear Liam doing the local headlines that run through the weekend for both New York and Pennsylvania. We're taking a break. When we come back, it's time for Work Shift Live. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. This is Radio Catskill. There are two warming shelters in Sullivan County, and both of them will be open every night of the winter season. The Monticello Warming Shelter is located at the Ted Strobel Recreation Center, at 10 Jefferson Street, across from the Government Center. The Liberty Warming Shelter is located in the Liberty United Methodist Church, 170 North Main Street. 
Each shelter is open every night from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. This is Radio Catskill, keeping you connected. Well, here we are once again, time for the latest on jobs and the economy. And for that, here on the local edition, we turn to James B. Huntington for another edition of Work Shift Live. Hello, James. Good evening, Jason. Good evening, listeners. Well, I've been uh, looking forward to this conversation this week, especially after the news cycle yesterday, I think it was, and I heard the term um, well, first off, I, I want to get to the four-day work week because I heard a lot about that in the news. But I think we should start with some local uh, jobs-related information. Uh, you're looking at a, an event that's going to be happening uh, this week in, in Monticello. Is that this Thursday? Is that tomorrow? Or is that next week? That is the 24th, actually. This is Friday. The Center for Workforce. Workforce Development is hosting a hiring event. It's going to be at the Sullivan County Career Center, 50 North Street, the usual location near the town center, the government center in Monticello. It's featuring the Ark of the Greater Hudson Valley. That's a nonprofit organization that helps people with disabilities and also combined energy services. They're propane and oil supplier in Monticello. So both of these are apparently hiring. If you have skills or interests that match these industries and you're looking for a job, you certainly should stop by. It's from 11 to 2 this coming Friday, the 24th. Well, that's good that it's Friday and not Thursday because we got this storm might be uh, having some inclement weather for the morning commute. So this is good that this is Friday and not tomorrow. Might be, but the weather really does not look so severe. I was looking at the forecast for the next few days, and we've probably already had it. We may have some, you know, we may have some sort of junk precipitation like sleet or whatever, and we may have an inch or something of snow, but there's an inch or two of wet snow out there now, and there's not supposed to be much more. All right. And so we got the weather update in there as well. Uh, But now I really want to talk about this four-day work week. I heard it mentioned a bunch in the news the past couple days. I wanted to know what James B. Huntington's got to say about this news. So you want to remind folks what the news is and then let us know what, what your take on this is. Yes, the news is, okay, first of all, the four-day work week has been talked about since time immemorial. Yes, and we've, was, we've talked about this on the yeah. show, and you've actually mentioned that before, that, that this is, we, so we, we've said both of these things a few times on air, but this is like a new development, yeah. yeah. Since I was in short pants, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> so th- the news is that there has been a trial, it's actually in Britain, But employers tried it, and it was, of course, a big success. They had 61 companies and 2,900 employees tried it for six months, ending actually in December. They have a bunch of impressive statistical results. 90% said they definitely wanted to continue. 55% reported increase in their ability at work. 71% reported reduced burnout. That's great. 
What we're missing, though, what is not mentioned is that so many 40 hours a week jobs, ostensibly now, are actually turning into 50 or 60 hours a week with pressure from employers, from managers, with people asking emails, responses and such at totally off times and the general idea that people should be working more than 40 hours. There's not a thing in the reports of these indicating whether that's actually 32 hours a week here or if it's 32 hours plus the same implicit 24-hour call that's been creeping into more and more cubicle jobs. A lot of things are unresolved here, and as far as these responses, of course people are going to be positive about (laughs) working fewer hours. There's nothing really great here. It's just that the issue is not where they say it is. The issue is not between 40 hours and 32, four and five days. The issue is between 40 hours and seven days and 60 hours. And that's what really has to be solved before we can talk seriously about going to four-day work weeks. I mean, in part meaning because people are working so much already? Yes. Well, I mean, people will say, everyone's saying with this, it's a four-day work week. Well, is it a four-day work week? Is that combined with a very un-American and unpopular idea of telling people they should not do work online or whatever outside business hours and that's the issue how many hours really is this four week four day a week thing and how does that square with all the companies who've been getting people to work more than 40 before this survey so um so that's that's what i wanted to know i was wondering what you were thinking about that so now we can move on to other uh, topics in in the world of jobs and there's a oh it seems like there's always shenanigans going on wherever people can get away with them um how about job scam on job scams happening on linkedin and indeed yes well these are getting more common with oddly more available jobs and it being more believable that someone can make a phone call or so and be on the edge of being hired already there's there are a lot of people who are trying to scam those who are looking for jobs what we're seeing here is people saying they will pay you for a sample article. You know, we've had the controversy before about job applicants doing unpaid work when there really isn't a job opening and so on. But this is a case where they're saying, okay, we'll pay you for it, but we need your banking information and we need um, other stuff here. And it turns out it's a bogus company or it's someone representing that they're with a company that they're not with and so on. And the point made here is that what employers ask for when somebody is brought on board is really quite similar to what people need to commit identity theft. They can get, employers can easily get social security numbers and addresses, phone numbers, and so on, but what they usually can't get so easily are bank account or credit card numbers, but if they can find a way of getting that, then they have as one 
attorney said that's everything you need to commit identity theft. So watch out. Verify these things. Ten minutes of due diligence is what they are recommending here. Find the company's website. Find the street address. Look for articles and press releases that mention the company. Can you find real employees and message them? Or if it's a well-known company, call its offices and try to speak to the person who's ready to do your interview. Mm -hmm. If you... Some of those things may not be so easy. You may run into ordinary privacy things, but you can tell the difference between something that's real and something's not real after you do this 10 minutes of due diligence. So we talk about, you know, some shenanigans, some shadies goings on. Sometimes it's on the part of employers. Sometimes in the case where you're talking about with scams there, it's not even uh, actual employers. They're just scamming folks. Sometimes it's uh, on the employees, employees trying to get away with things uh, like folks trying to get away with working two full-time jobs. How, how does that work or not? Well, apparently there's a whole little subculture of people. They call themselves overemployed. <laughs> then they have two jobs at the same time, and they don't cop to having both of them. They don't tell either one they have the other one. But the logistics can be remarkably easy. They sort of duck meetings and such where they have to be in person when everything is online when everything can be replaced by zoom it's awfully easy you can have one call with one company and follow it up with another one and you can get away with it and there are people here who are saying who are getting lousy performance reviews or such sometimes or but they'll talk about having sick children or dead relatives or so on just to try to stretch out the two jobs and we're talking real money here this is mostly good positions there's one example i have here about a person who had two two hundred thousand dollar a year director jobs and was doing both of them what you do in general is just set priorities just like you would if you had one job with a lot of things to do but you're going back and forth and Yes, there may be. You are certainly in violation, but at worst, that would be a firing offense where you would lose one of your jobs. So, in a way, that's the chickens of assuming everyone is acting in good faith when they're working from home. Those chickens coming home to roost <laughs> with problems. You know, it also sounds like people, like, they're not just exploiting uh, potential loopholes, but also the fact that these jobs, whatever jobs they are, there's a good chance that they don't require 40 hours a week of somebody's full attention, that, that they at least a modicum of the work can be done with a fraction of the time. This story just makes me want to go back to the first story about the four-day work week and how much how much actual time needs to be spent at some of these jobs. Well, if that isn't an open secret, I don't know what is, that a lot of cubicle positions do not require anything like 40 hours of actual work a week. And if you can negotiate that, if you can move things around, if you're skilled at such things, if you can tell people that you have a conflict, even from it, another job in another company, and you can move things around, you can get away with this often quite easily. I can imagine if both jobs are really jumping at once, you might have 60 or 70 hours a week, but for the money, it may yeah. well be worth it. And I don't, it's, 
what how much of a violation it is between employers just getting a little ticked off on employees who would immediately fire you it would really vary with the exact situation but it's getting remarkably common and we can see why okay and this last question we only have one minute for uh but so what if we're not working two full-time jobs but you're just trying to do a bit of a side hustle at that point should you let your employer know Yes, well, this is the side hustle thing. This has been around. It's moonlighting. It's people doing things in hours with responsibility that they are not being expected to use in their main job. There's nothing wrong as far as conflicts. People who do it right, and I speak from personal experience, keep their side hustle completely away from their regular jobs. Don't talk about it. Don't use any company resources, including time. Don't. If you're supposed to be working from 9 to 5, then do your side hustle in other hours. All of that is completely legitimate. There's um, Now, the issue here brought up in this piece was whether you should hide it or not hide it. And I still have to say yes i think it's it would be an, it would have been an unnecessary course of conflict it would have been employers who can't tell the difference between quantity and quality can't tell the difference between someone who can handle this kind of thing and someone who cannot and it's really back to the old principle of what you do in your own time is your own business Amen to I was that. incredibly <laughs> I was incredibly reliable at my primary jobs. I had over a decade with no sick days. So if you can do that, do it. All right. Yeah. And uh, that just uh, helps somebody who is capable of doing it maintain those boundaries of keeping one separate from the other. That's been the latest on jobs in the economy around here, around the country. We've been talking to James B. Huntington, WorkShift Live. Thank you so much, James. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, listener. Okay, that's going to do it for the local edition. Let's Talk Vets is up next. Remember, this winter weather advisory is still in effect until the morning hours, and there's still a chance of some additional quarter to half inch of ice, depending on where you are. This is WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. We are Radio